Welcome to A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World with your host, Anya Cates. This podcast has one mission, to rally a generation that's been labeled and groomed as lazy, triggered, and entitled, and invite us all to write a new story. One of a generation that's willing to challenge the status quo, reject black and white thinking, and opt out of each and every repressive system and box that we've been placed in. Above all else, I want to invite millennials to step up to the plate, to be vulnerable in owning our responsibility to ourselves and for walking this planet through the darkest of days. It's time to dream new dreams, write new stories, and create new futures. The great work begins. Welcome to episode one. Man, it feels good to say that. Feels good to be recording this first episode. I think I I announced this podcast that I was going to be doing this a year ago um, and truly did not know that it was going to take this long to create. Um, But I'm really glad that we're finally here now. Uh, In retrospect, I'm quite grateful that I had the past year to really get clear on what it was that I wanted to do. I think, you know, uh, the topics that we're going to be discussing in this just topic overall, saving the world is, is a big one, obviously. Um, and I'm grateful to have had such a long period of time to really reflect on how I wanted to present this to you guys. Um, I do think part of my hesitation in doing it sooner was a fear of recording this episode, actually, um, talking about myself and really trying to define what it was that I was doing. So it's a little terrifying, but also, uh, I feel that after having all of the time that I had to really get clear on what it was that I wanted to put out into the world, it feels certainly like the perfect time to do that. So thank you for anyone that's joining me such, such, uh, so early on, on this journey. Um, I really appreciate it. And, uh, hopefully you guys will all stick, uh, stick along for the ride. Um, okay. So basics, my name's Anya. I live in Topanga right now, which is in the Santa, Santa Monica mountains, um, just outside of LA. I'm from New York originally. So I've lived in Southern California for about five years. Um, I'm a millennial, obviously. Um, I was born in 1988, which I guess at the time growing up, I thought I was like one of the older millennials. Uh, but technically that the generation has now been defined as people born between 81 and 96. So that pretty much puts me right in the middle. Uh, so my claim about really being on the older end of the generation and, um, not feeling as if I had to identify myself as a millennial. Yeah, no tough shit. I am like smack dab in the middle, pretty much as, as much millennial as you can get. Um, and it's ironic because, uh, I, like I said, I, you know, who wants to be a millennial? I know certainly anyone in my generation, you know, we've all been super ashamed, uh, to admit that we are of this generation. Nobody likes millennials. Um, and certainly not me either. You know, I tried to distance myself from my generation, I think, as much as possible. And so it's uh, both ironic but kind of fitting. I feel like that I'm here uh, trying to redefine, 
you know, millennial. And I hope that uh, a lot of other millennials will sort of join me on that quest in, in redefining who we are and what we're all about, because, you know, we didn't really get any say as to our reputation, you know, that was defined by other people. And so now that we're growing up, now that we're adults, we have the opportunity to really define ourselves and our generation. And that is what this podcast is about. Um, so this episode is going to be a lot about me telling my story. Um, that's not going to be what the rest of the episodes are like for the most part. I'm going to be interviewing people. Um, I'll be doing some solo shows as well, probably as Patreon perks. I'll talk about Patreon at the end of this. Um, but most of the episodes, uh, for the main show will be interviews. So I'll probably do a couple of, um, podcasts that are just me in the future, but for the most part, uh, they will be me talking to other people. So this is a unique little opportunity of you just hearing me talk at you for an hour. (laughs) Um, but I knew this episode was going to be important, uh, to do. Um, hopefully it will provide you with some more context as to why I decided to start this podcast, why I'm interested in the subjects I'm interested in. Um, and this show is going to be about covering all sorts of different topics um, that I think are, you know, relative to, um, relevant rather, to uh, what we need to do, or at least the conversations we need to start having about the state of the world. Uh, that's mostly going to be the focus. And this episode is just going to be uh, an introduction um, where I'm coming from and what I hope to accomplish with this show. So, Uh, I first want to say that I'm certainly not claiming that this podcast or any one thing is going to miraculously make the world a better place um, or save the world, but I do really think that we are lacking in conversation, um, especially about controversial topics. Uh, I think, uh, as you'll see and as I explain, I think conversation and just kind of thinking in new ways and talking in new ways is really integral to what we need to do to change what's going on around us. Um, I think change in general is uh, much more about a change in this, you know, our state of consciousness than, uh, than anything else. I think once we change the way that we think about a thing and then um, live our lives uh, based on that sort of rethinking, I think that's where the magic happens. Um, and so this show is aimed at just beginning that process, right? Trying to think in new ways Um, As I say in the intro, you know, dreaming new dreams, writing new stories, and creating new futures. It kind of covers off on all of those stages of dreaming, implementation, and then the actual change. Um, A quote that I love, and I don't know who said it, it might have been Ionesco, um, but that revolution is a change in the state of consciousness. And so how do we change consciousness? Uh, I'm not sure. (laughs) Um, But I do think that it starts uh, with thinking and conversing in new ways, uh, broadening our minds to new ideas, um, just really looking at the world in a different way from what we were raised to uh, believe. Um, And this is not an easy process, obviously. Uh, It requires a shift in our own identity. It requires us to embrace paradox and nuance and gray areas. Um, and changing one's identity is difficult because it means that we have to rid ourselves of different definitions that have carried us for a really long time. And so if our definition or our label or our box for something that we fit very nicely into for so long gets broken down, you know, 
well, how do we identify, like, who the fuck are we if we, um, if we are not what we thought we were, right? If what we thought we were, we recognize as just a social construction, where do we begin again? And so I think a lot of people are just hesitant even to broach these topics because it really does call our identity uh, into question. Um, so, and, and on that note, you know, this podcast is just as much about changing oneself as it is changing the world. Um, and, you know, one of my favorite quotes is fix yourself to fix the world. You know, what we do internally, uh, affects the external world in terms of who we interact with and what choices we make. Um, but I do think to some extent when people make that realization, I see it around me all the time being in sort of like spiritual enlightened communities now is that when people recognize that, that really all they can change is themselves, they sort of tend to go from one extreme to another. So perhaps before it's blaming other people or blaming systems, blaming patriarchy or whatever else for the issue. And then once we kind of recognize that the change that we need is really inside ourselves, a lot of people um, kind of retreat in and hide and don't speak up about these things. They go, okay, well, you know, if I can just live my, you know, amazing, enlightened spiritual life, I'm just going to go off in the woods and do that. And that's all I can do. And not to say that there's anything wrong with that, (laughs) but it's certainly not my path. Um, and although I'm not really here to change anyone's mind, um, and I'm certainly not, you know, naive as to think that I can force anyone onto a journey that they're not ready to embark in, but I do want to hold space for this process, for these conversations. Um, I've always been pretty outspoken and, uh, you know, I'll use the word brave, although it's very odd to refer my, to refer to myself in that way. Um, but I do think that one of my gifts in this world is to share and to affect. Um, and so it doesn't suit me, even though I know the change that needs to take place is very much internal. It doesn't suit me to do that in the dark. Um, I want to do that in public. I want to do it in front of you guys, because I know for me, when I was going through a really hard time in my life over the past couple of years, that seeing examples of people going through these processes, processes, um, it was really healing and probably necessary for me to kind of figure out what to do with myself. And so I'm really thankful to those people that helped me in my process. And I would love to pass that along to even just one other person. And so that's what I'm here to do with this podcast is to really hold space for our collective growth and healing. Um, so, uh, Another quote that I love, a lot of these quotes that I love, I can't ever, like, I think I read them in other people's books. And then when I Google who wrote them, I can't find it, but I know I don't want to take credit for it. Uh, but there is one that I love that's, uh, it's when I'm fully conscious that I ask questions and questions have been a huge driving force in my life. Um, it's very much about what this podcast is going to be about uh, really showcasing my own questions and curiosity about the world and how we define it. Um, I will always ask questions uh, instead of coming up with answers, you know, to many people's frustration, like me always being that person that's playing devil's advocate and seeing both sides of things. But I don't really know that we're capable of having the answers to everything. And so I think the quote unquote answer is in the seeking. 
Um, and I think questions and curiosity is the basis behind that. So that's what a lot of this is going to be about. And subject wise, I mean, really the sky's the limit. We're definitely going to talk about things like grief and trauma, regenerative agriculture, climate change, sexuality, relationships, spirituality, astrology, race, gender, authenticity, vulnerability, art, mental illness, plant medicine. I mean, you guys kind of get the point. Um, there's a lot to talk about here. You know, the saving the world is not just one thing. It's a conglomerate of a lot of different things. It, we have to come at this from multiple different angles. Um, and so I hope to encompass, you know, kind of the breadth of that within this show. So before I get to the juicy stuff, um, let's see. First off, I don't want to have ads on this podcast if I can avoid it. Um, and I just will avoid it. I'd rather just be poor and make no money than have ads. I definitely come from a world and a past, um, having a blog and being, you know, a quote unquote influencer where for a while there, although a lot of the products, most of the products that I was advertising, I really used and enjoyed. I don't want to sell things. I don't want to have that looming over me in any sense. Um, and I don't really want to bother you guys with it at all. So in exchange for that, though, um, I would like to make this more of my job. I would like um, to be able to support myself more with this work and, and the work that uh, I hope to do in the future as well. And for that, I want to involve you guys. I want to have you guys be part of my process, um, part of, of helping me to decide of about what I want to release out into the world. Um, and so I've set up a Patreon um, you can visit it at patreon.com slash Anya Cates, A-N-Y-A-K-A-A-T-S. And for a small donation each month, um, you get access to a bunch of perks. So starting, I think it starts at just five bucks a month. Um, and um, I'm going to be doing things like offering free readings, astrology readings, I'm going to be putting together a monthly column or bulletin. I'm not really quite sure what to call it yet, um, called Minerva's Muse, which is going to be basically like a, um, a, a column of inspiration that I've found. And that was meaningful to me over the past month to share with you guys. I'm going to be doing solo shows every month. So kind of picking a topic and just talking. Um, and those are only going to be available for patrons, um, and what else am I going to do? Oh, I have t-shirts that you guys can get for supporting me on Patreon. Uh, so lots of different stuff. Head over there, patreon.com slash Anya Cates. Um, I really encourage you to join me on this. I support a lot of artists and podcasters and people whose work I support. And I think in general, this idea of, you know, us supporting the work and the ideas that we want to carry into the future and really like voting with our dollar and our time and our energy, I think that's vital. And so, um, I hope that you will support this podcast. Um, and yeah. Um, also, uh, please subscribe on iTunes, leave a review and some stars. Obviously this is new. I'm not the most famous person in the world. I don't even know if I'm a little famous. Yeah, I'm not. So um, I need you guys' help to get this out there and share it with people. Um, leaving reviews and stars helps uh, the podcast show up more in iTunes. And so anything you can do to help me out with that would be great, uh, greatly appreciated. Um, other than that, thank you for listening. Um, 
this is really scary to talk about myself, but we're going to do it. So <laughs> here we go. Um, okay. So I've, I've had a lot of time to think about what my motivation for this podcast was. And, um, I think I really traced it back to an obsession with paradox, uh, that I've had for really as long as I can remember. Um, and when I tell my story, you'll, you'll hear why, but as I mentioned, I've, I've always challenged the information I've been given. Um, I've always, you know, it's been, a, it's been a challenging situation to live in a place of questioning, especially as a young person, because I felt pretty misunderstood. I mean, to, to a certain extent, I think we all do. Um, but it was really, it was really potent for me. Um, I, the way that I thought about things and, and what I had been shown in my life was really contrary to cultural norms. And so as a young person, not to have a ton of support or other people that felt like I felt it was, um, it was really challenging. And I think eventually trying to live on my own and come up with my own way to do things, it just became too oppressive, you know, from culture and parents and friends kind of telling me that what I was doing was too big or, hell, how are you going to accomplish that? Or, well, that sounds cool, but we live in the real world. And eventually I just gave up. And I, over the past decade, really kind of let myself just fade into oblivion. Um, and it was only in the past couple of years through a good amount of trauma, actually, that I was able to do a lot of work in getting back to myself again. Um, so, you know, and I'm not telling my story because it's exceptionally unique at all. I think we all grapple with these questions from time to time about who we are and um, how we show up. And I want to show how, uh, you know, embracing discomfort, the discomfort and paradox in gray areas um, can really bring us into a place of, of really acute self-awareness and authenticity um, that can be extremely enlightening and freeing. Uh, and so that's very much the journey that I feel like I've been on and, uh, definitely want to encourage and hold space for anyone else, you know, willing to go on that journey. Um, and really encouraging people to tell their story, right? It doesn't matter if it fits into a box or if it's common or uncommon, you know, our stories are our humanity. They're what give us, um, our roots. And so in telling my story, I encourage you to tell yours as well. So I think all of this, or most of this, at least consciously, began when I was about 10. So my parents got divorced when I was five. Um, my dad moved around the corner from us. Uh, so I saw him pretty frequently, but I did mostly live with my mom. Um, and at around 10, um, I believe it was 1998, um, I had a very life-changing conversation, an event that happened uh, that completely informed uh, my life from then on out and still does. Um, and so this was a conversation with my mother in which I found out that my dad was gay. So as I mentioned, my parents did get divorced when I was five. My dad started dating a man uh, very shortly thereafter who I referred to as my dad's friend. Um, I, because I didn't, you know, and this is the late 90s, so let's just talk about this, you know, in terms of timing. The late 90s, 1998 was actually the same year that Matthew Shepard was killed. Um, so this was far before, especially for young people, there were really any 
public cultural examples of homosexuality and certainly not positive examples, at least not that I was privy to. Um, so uh, homosexuality in general, um, and being gay, like it was still very hush hush. We've come a long way in 20 years since then. Um, but so this conversation that I had, I was in a show, my dad worked at a theater in our town. Um, and I, for up until college, basically thought I was going to be an actress and spent a lot of my time in that theater and other theaters and plays and shows. Um, and there was one day that we were, uh, myself and some of the other kids in the show that I was in, uh, we waltzed into the lead of the show's dressing room. And on his mirror was a photo of him holding hands with another man. And I was there with probably about five or six other kids and everyone all at the same time started kind of, you know, snickering under their breath. Oh my God. Oh my God. He's gay. He's gay. He's gay. And I stood there extremely confused. First of all, I didn't really know what gay was. It's my guess that a lot of those kids didn't really quite know either, but I looked at this picture of two men holding hands and I thought, but wait a second, my dad holds hands with his friend um, and lives with him. Uh, you know, so what does that mean? Does that mean my dad's gay? You know, it didn't really make any sense to me not really knowing what that meant and not having spoken about it with anyone. Um, and I came to find out my parents had decided that they were going to tell me when I asked. So, um, they weren't purposefully keeping this from me aside from thinking that when I was old enough to ask the question that that's when I was old enough to hear the answer. Um, so I went home that day and, um, I think I sat on it for a little while, not really sure how to broach the subject and probably being super fearful. And then one morning, my mom sat me down to ask me about the uh, Clinton and Monica Lewinsky scandal um, and asked me if I'd heard anything about it or if I had any questions. And um, eventually that discussion, you know, led into her saying, all right, well, do you have any other questions, you know, in that realm of, of topic, sex? Um and I asked her, I, I told her the story. I said that I was in this dressing room and saw this photo. And I remember very vividly saying, you know, but dad holds hands with uh, this person who I don't have to name. Um, does that mean that he's gay? Uh, or I said, you know, but that doesn't mean he's gay, right? Um, and my mom then said to me, yes, your dad's gay. And let me tell you, uh, that was one of the craziest days of my life. You know, I, I was hysterically laughing. I tend to laugh when things are really awkward. Um, I was laughing and sobbing at the same time. My mom ran upstairs and got a big cardboard box full of videos and um, books that she and my dad had collected over the years, kind of waiting for this moment, you know, like me and my two moms and you know, I have a gay dad. And she plopped me down on her bed and put a video in for me to watch. Um, and my dad lived pretty close. And so she said that she was going to have my dad come over. And, and I think out of anything, this was the moment. This was the most important moment of my life, maybe. Um, because in that moment, I became very fearful. All I had known about the word gay was that it was bad, right? Now I kind of understood what the definition was, but culturally speaking, and what I had been um, exposed to in life was that gay equals bad. And so when my mom said that she was going to call my dad to come over, I didn't want him to come over because I was fearful that when he walked in the door, that he'd be a different person. So now that he was quote unquote gay, 
I straight up had a vision. I mean, keep in mind, I'm 10, so not totally realistic, but I straight up thought that maybe he'd walk into our house with like horns or he'd just be evil. He would no longer be the dad that I loved so much. And I was very close to my dad. My dad was and still is my hero in many ways. And so to have this thought that the dad that I knew and who loved me and who I loved was going to be now different simply because he had this label associated with him was completely terrifying. And so the moment though, that he did walk into my house, my mom's house, and he was the same dad that I've always known and loved, a light bulb went off for me in that moment, which was that things are not always what they seem and that labels are not actually accurate. And so if the whole world thought gay was bad, but my dad was gay and my dad was not bad, then that label was bullshit. Um, And it was at that moment that my parents started having these conversations with me as well. Um, And so I was certainly raised, you know, from this moment on to really question anything that was laid out in any sort of concise way, whether that be labels, boxes, norms, et cetera. Um, And so that's where the questioning began for me. You know, that's whenever I heard something, oh, well, that's just how it is, or this is what this thing means, or that's what this thing means. And this is our label. And this is our name for that. I've always known it was bullshit. Um, Before I ever knew what a social construction was, that's really what I was obsessed with, this idea that we make things up and act as if they're uh, not made up. We act as if they're somehow quote-unquote normal. Um, And so that um, way of thinking followed me, um, has always followed me. It you know, other things helped too. So, um, a little while after I was probably, I don't know, 14 years old, my dad gave me a book called the trouble with normal, which we laugh about this to this day about like how funny it was that he gave me this book when I was so young, but it was written by a gay man arguing against gay marriage. Um, and so it, during this time, you know, when gay rights is just sort of coming into focus, um, And something I certainly fought for to read this book that was, you know, kind of talking about, uh, oh, hey, by the way, like as gay people, maybe we don't want to fight for what is a very um, heteronormative, potentially restrictive, uh, you know, gender conforming um, uh, thing in our world. Like maybe that's not the best thing to do. Should we not try and reinvent that? Should we not try and come up with a new thing? Um, and so that kind of got the wheels going for me too. I, when I was 12, my mom moved my brother and I to Paris. Um, and so that was another, uh, way that at a very young age, I was open to different types of cultures. And so being placed in, um, completely different culture, being in France, not the same as the US. It just kind of further opened my eyes to cultural difference. And again, the extent to which so much of what we consider normal is just constructed. Um, and so I've, I followed this fascination with taboo, really. Um, I went after everything that everyone else didn't want to touch. Um, so Uh, not to say that all of my choices in this sense were always the healthiest. I definitely think I acted out this fascination in maybe 
somewhat of a negative way, um, using it as an excuse for some pretty, you know, naive, immature behavior. Um, but I dated older men my whole life. I wrote papers about the origin of the incest taboo in college. I studied, went abroad to Amsterdam, lived in Amsterdam for a year and studied gender and sexuality there and, you know, talked directly with sex workers. Um, you know, I was really into this. I, I think throughout, you know, my teens into college, this was my life. I was fascinated by, um, everything that wasn't on the surface, really digging down and getting, you know, below the surface on what everything means and where it came from. Um, I did eventually, uh, shut down. Um, it became too challenging. I got involved in a relationship in my early twenties. Um, and I think, you know, I got my first job and, uh, I just thought it was too hard. You know, I even remember in college when people would go to some random family gathering or, you know, friends of family and people would ask me what I studied in school and I would say gender and sexuality and there would always be jokes, you know, so you study like vaginas and penises, like you study how sex works. And I didn't know what to do with that as a young person. Um, on the one hand, I wanted to yell at everyone and tell them what I was really doing. But on the other hand, I also recognized that I wasn't going to be able to change anyone's mind. And so what was the point of me sitting there arguing with anyone about this or trying to inform these people who clearly didn't really want to know, um, were just kind of expressing their own discomfort with what I was doing. Um, and so I would kind of just sit there and take it. I took a lot of abuse from people, um, subtle abuse, but abuse around the topics that I was interested in. And so I graduated college. I started, I was in this relationship. Um, I got a relatively normal job and I decided, I'd even say this openly that I decided that instead of utilizing everything that I'd learned, um, academically in college, that instead that all of that stuff that I did, gender, sexuality, et cetera, that I was just going to take that and apply it to my personal beliefs about the world, but that I wasn't actually going to live a life that was aligned with those beliefs. Um, and yeah, that didn't work out very well. Um, so in 2010, I'm sorry, in 2017, uh, everything came to a head for me. So I was married to this person. Um, we were in a relationship since I was uh, let's see, 21, 22. Um, and I was 27 at this point. And, um, I pretty impulsively decided to leave my marriage after only seven months. So we'd been together for quite some time, but we were only married for seven months. There were a lot of issues in our relationship. Um, and I pretty abruptly decided to end it after we got married, after we'd bought a house, after we'd renovated a house and we're planning for our future. I won't get into the details about how I left, um, my marriage, but it was not admirable. Uh, and it was a repetition of, of patterns that I recognized. Um, and for about two months, I kind of lived in fantasy land, um, thinking that I was just going to leave my marriage and my husband was going to move out of my house and I was going to keep my house and pretty much continue my life as normal just without him. Um, and that's really not what happened. Uh, I had to move out of my house and I moved in with my mom uh, and that my entire life flashed before me in that instance of moving back in with her. I thought that was only going to be a temporary solution until I could go back to my house, but it became quite clear that my husband was not going to give me the house without a huge fight. Um, and so 
I ended up living with my mom for a few months. Um, and it was like going back to my childhood, uh, and, and was very much a mirror showing me about, showing me everything about who I was and how I became the person that I was. Um, and so to be in a very vulnerable state, you know, everything kind of started to fall apart. So I realized I would have to give up my house. Um, I had to kind of stop seeing some people that, uh, I thought would be in my life, you know, in this post-marriage life. Um, I got really sick. I was basically bedridden. Everything fell apart at the same time. And needing support from my mom at such an integral time um, and experiencing it not happening. So I wasn't getting the support that I needed. You know, on the surface, she was letting me in her house. She was shopping for groceries for me, but I didn't feel emotionally supported and I didn't, I couldn't figure out what was going on. And then I kind of started putting the pieces together and realizing that, you know, this has, this was always kind of my relationship. Um, this, the dynamic that I was experiencing as an adult was identical to the experience that I was, that I had as a child. And so if it was so challenging for me to figure this out as an adult and cope with as an adult, how did I cope as a child? Um, and that was a terrifying thought. Um, and it's really when, you know, just the box broke open, um, and everything started to make sense. Um, so I lived with her for a few months, even my dad flew out. So it was my dad and my mom and I living in my mom's house. Like that, that part where my dad came out was only about a week, but my God, you know, I don't remember what it was like when my parents were married before I was five, but certainly to have us all in a tight space like that, where I was completely breaking down and seeing the family dynamic like that. Um, it was telling to say the least. Um, and I ended up moving out of my house on the one year anniversary of my marriage, uh, which was just a little traumatic. Um, I found a wonderful, amazing apartment in Topanga, um, which I love and which I loved even, you know, when I moved in, but the whole thing was extremely scary. I was moving in by myself for the first time really ever. I, uh, had been in long-term relationships pretty much since I was 16 years old. So this was the first time that I was really setting out on my own and, uh, yeah, terrified is an understatement. Um, I had a spiritual awakening, I would say, uh, and this is not what it sounds like. Um, a spiritual awakening is often like a near death experience. Um, I was told, uh, that, by some people, uh, that my, um, the extent of my emotionality during this time was not normal. Uh, so my grief and crying and all of that. And I just knew that was bullshit. Um, I felt for whatever reason, even before really developing any sort of sense of spirituality, felt very confident that what I was going through, uh, was something I was supposed to be going through. It felt extremely authentic to be experiencing the emotion that I was experiencing, although painful. And I let that carry me, even though I was being told by a parent that it wasn't normal and that nobody suffered like this. Um, I knew that was not right. Um, and so that's what I followed. Um, and it kept me, it kept me determined to figure out what the meaning behind this time in my life, um, really was. So I, I went all in, um, which tends to be 
how I do a lot of things in life. I don't do things in a half-assed way. If I'm going to do something, I do it and I dive right in. And that's, that's really the strategy that I took, um, in going through this experience was that I was going to do everything that I could possibly do to, to figure it out and to heal. So, um, I stumbled across astrology, uh, to the point where it made so much freaking sense and resonated so much and gave so much context to what I was doing that I decided to learn astrology and enroll in an astrology apprenticeship, which I am just about to graduate. Um, I went to therapy three times a week. Um, and let me just say, I've been in therapy on and off my entire life. Um, therapy really only works if you want it to work. Um, and my dad gave me such great advice when I started seeing this therapist that I see now. And he said, if I can give you one piece of advice, it's not to lie to your therapist. And he said, there are certain types of people like you and me, and we're really smart and we know exactly what the other person wants to hear. And we know exactly what to say in order to make us look smart and like we're on top of it. And he said, just don't do any of that with her. And I took that to heart and I realized um, how I'd lied to pretty much every therapist my whole life up until then. Um, so uh, that was a, a lot of work that was done. Um, I learned about codependency and that I had experienced quite a bit of that when I was a child and that I carried that into my adult life. I recognized through, again, therapy, astrology, these work hand in hand, um, or can if you want them to. Uh, I recognized the roots of much of my trauma. It started to make sense why I had gotten myself into the relationships that I had gotten into, why I had given up on everything that had meant something to me when I was younger. Um, there were parts that I was aware of prior to this, but I do think there's um, a very big difference between knowing something and being aware of it and facing it and grieving it. So, you know, my relationship with my mom was not that great. I'm going to be pretty honest about that on this podcast. Um, and that was always something I knew. I, we were very close. Having said that, we, um, you know, were in communication a lot. Uh, but she was a little, always a little nuts. And um, even, you know, in conversations that I'd had with her about that, I was pretty open about it. Um, so there was an awareness, but there wasn't a complete facing and in, an internalization about what that would mean. Like, okay, well, if your mom's a little nuts and maybe wasn't emotionally there for you as a child, that might be easy for you to kind of talk about casually and as, as an adult, but it certainly was not anything casual as a child and had a pretty lasting effect on, on who I became. Um, so, uh, really learning how to not just know something, but to face it was certainly a big part of my journey, uh, grief. I, I did not know what grief was before this. Um, uh, but I grieved a lot. I think grieving, we'll talk about, I'm going to talk about grief a lot on this podcast, but, um, it's really what opened me up to so much. And I think such a source of, you know, uh, quote unquote enlightenment for so many people, um, going through that process. And, um, I came up, I can't, I can't even explain it. Just going experiencing the breath of my emotion, both positive and negative, just cracked me open to so much that I had never thought or experienced before. Um, and, and realizing that, recognizing that, recognizing that this feeling was actually a, a, a source of enlightenment, it just kind of kept me going. I thought, well, I might as well just keep grieving for myself, for my ancestors, for everyone around me, for, you know, my own family. Um, 
that felt almost like a job. It felt like a responsibility that I needed to take on. Uh, I traveled alone a lot. I'd never really done that before. I went on multiple very long road trips, mostly camping by myself. Um, that was hugely instrumental in my growth. I think, um, especially in connecting me to the earth. Um, and I'd always really been into the outdoors and cared about the planet and, you know, global warming and blah, blah, blah. But when I was going through this grieving process and being by myself in the middle of nature, it really helped me to put those two together that this journey for me moving forward was going to be very much about saving this planet that felt so much like home to me in some really desperate, painful times. Um, I read incessantly about grief, codependency, spirituality, astrology, vulnerability, authenticity. And finally, through all of that, was really able to start to get back in touch with my real interests and um, the person that I wanted to be in the world. Um, Through this experience, you know, I was come up with my own little theory about the nature of a lot of our issues in the world. And I think, I think a big, big, big part of it is that so many of us are prevented from pursuing that, which is our true nature and our authenticity due to, um, conditioning via our parents, culture, et cetera. And, uh, I don't think we face that very much because, Um, it's very stigmatized to be seen as damaged. So even for me, you know, I, I, on the outside, my childhood was looked great. You know, I went to summer camp, we went on vacations. I had a roof over my head. I had both parents in my life. Um, there was food on the table. Uh, everything looked okay. And so to express any sort of trauma that I had experienced, um, was extremely stigmatized. You know, nobody, childhood trauma, you know, nobody wants to admit that they had that as a child, but the, but the fact is we all do in varying degrees. It's why we have so many problems in our world because we were grown up, we were, we grew up to, you know, believe kind of harmful things, uh, about ourselves, um, and that we really shouldn't or shouldn't be able to live the life that we want to live because it's unrealistic. And because, you know, just doing what culture or parents or teachers or friends expect of us, um, is really what's seen as the appropriate choice. And so to go back and to be humble enough to admit that we were actually damaged at one point, that in and of itself is really challenging for a lot of people. And again, partially why I want to have this podcast to kind of, uh, provide an example, um, showing that that's not true, that we all have struggled with these things in one way or another. And I think in supporting each other in that is how we move forward. Um, so in making these sort of society confirming choices, you know, we're passing our grief and frustration about that onto anyone, everyone else, onto our, onto our children, onto anyone else that's in our life, pre- preventing them from having any of their own growth. And so stops here. Uh, I definitely don't want to pass any of that on to my children. And I don't want to pass any of that on even to anyone else in my life. I want to um, hold myself in a position where I feel that the choices that I've made are mine alone. Um, and in spite of that feeling embarrassing or scary or terrifying at times, you know, at this point I feel that I've been through enough to where 
it's pretty hard to freak me out at this point. Um, and I, I hope that, uh, my vulnerability will inspire others as well. Um, so the path, you know, to our authenticity is not clear. Um, it's riddled with complexity. Um, we have to step into a very scary and unknown place. We have to first break down truths in order to rebuild them. Um, and, uh, I think that honestly, if the process of coming back home to ourselves is not tremendously frightening, then it's not the right path. Um, and an author that I love, Martin Prechtel, uh, said something that it takes courage to be what the world needs. And so I think if we are not acting from a place of courage and bravery and vulnerability, then we're really not doing what the world needs. I think we need to set examples for other people and really live, you know, our life in a meaningful, authentic way. Um, so here I am. I'm figuring it, it out as I go, <laughs> trying to fix myself to fix this world of ours. I'm trying to stop the cycle. I'm trying to hold space for people to go through the same journey. Um, and I, again, really want to encourage people to tell their stories. You know, stories are not political. Authentic authenticity is not political. Um, you know, just take the facts for what they are and kind of go from there and stop defining everything, making everything into a binary, just being able to honor people and their truth you know, as messy as that may be and as uncomfortable as that might make us. Um, I really do think that's at least part of what we need to do. Uh, and so we are truly all living in cages with the door wide open. Um, and it is my hope to show everyone that we can step out of that cage at any time that we want to, and that there will be people and spaces and community to support us in doing that. And so I hope to create that community for everyone um, because it's not easy. I went through it. I'm in it, right? Stepping out into that unknown is terrifying. And it's really unfortunate that we don't have more communities that are available or at least known enough to support people in that process. And so whatever this community ends up looking like, um, you know, that's what I want to do. I want to be that space for other people. I want to help people learn and give some people tools, um, about what they can do to really come back to themselves. Um, so in terms of what I want to do, you know, long-term, I certainly have a lot of ideas, um, you know, in terms of changing the world. Um, but I want, I want the story to write itself. I want you guys to help me write that story. So a lot of what I want to do, I, I hold on to in an energetic sense and kind of let it unfold logistically as it needs to. Um, but I really do want to have you all as a part of that journey with me. I think community is vital and imperative to this process. Uh, and so I, I want to sort of, um, end with talking about a quote that I, um, used in the intro, uh, which is the great work begins. And, um, just a little fun tidbit. So I, something I've been obsessed with since I was quite young, um, is the play angels in America. And I saw HBO did a movie on it when I was, I don't really remember, maybe 12, maybe a little older. Um, but there's a quote at the end that's all about, that's, uh, talking about really gay rights and the activism that needed to take place following, um, at that time, after the during and after the AIDS crisis, and so one of the characters prior at the end kind of talks directly to the camera and, and says, "The great work begins." And it's a quote that I've loved for so long, um, 
and only in writing the intro to this podcast, you know, went and researched it and rec- and realized, learned that it's actually a Carl Jung quote um, and that he's talking about dream work. Um, so to go to bed and do the nocturnal work that we need to in order to get to, you know, our true selves, that that was the great work that he was referring to. And I just thought it was such a, a poignant um, phrase and quote to use for this podcast as well. You know, whether it is dream work, internal work, unconscious work, whether it is activism, right? There is both an internal and external aspect to the work that needs to be done. Um, and so that is the great work of this podcast. That's the great work that we need to be doing. Um, and I hope that you all will join me in what I feel is vital work that needs to be done. Um, so in terms of guests, I would love you, all of your input about this, please email me, message me on Instagram. I want to hear your ideas of who I should interview. I've recorded several interviews so far. I'm probably going to start by releasing an episode every couple weeks, um, especially over the next couple months. If I Once I get a little bit more comfortable and familiar, um, hopefully I can start releasing them more frequently. Um, I'm also going to be uh, uh, putting together a Spotify playlist of music that I play on the show. So um, one of my biggest passions in life has always been music. Music is extremely healing for me. Um, and I would love to share the music that I love with you guys and kind of tie different songs to different episodes in a way that I find is meaningful and hope you guys do too. So, uh, I will, I will talk about that once I have the playlist. It seems sort of silly to release a playlist with like one song on it now. Um, but that's certainly coming together. So, uh, that will be something to look forward to. And yeah, I think that pretty much covers it for this episode. Can't believe I got through that. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you guys stick around to hear um, the interviews that I have planned and all the cool stuff that's on my Patreon. Um, again, you can head there, patreon.com slash Anya Cates to learn more about what I'll be offering. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for listening, for being here, for supporting me on this journey. Um, and I can't wait to see what we all create together. So on that note, I want to end this episode with um, a song that has meant a lot to me for a really long time um, by Rilo Kiley called A Better Son Daughter. Enjoy. See you next time. Save me this time, and your mother.